Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. I mean, I don't know if there is or not. I don't know. I, I never thought about it. You know, maybe I'm off, but I don't know. Nothing comes to the forefront of my mind. You don't call them sinners. I, I never thought about it, but I probably don't. Give us some men who know the truth and who will declare the truth and who will declare from the housetops that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Ah, the faith statement of a foolish world. This is Wretched Radio. Romans 1 describes the individual who suppresses the truth in unrighteousness as a fool. And the credo of the contemporary fool is, if it feels good, do it. Why? Because we are living in a world of autonomous self. We are living in a world that has told us repeatedly this world is really about you. It's not about others first. It's certainly not about God first. It is about you first and foremost. And if you just try really hard, believe in yourself, then you can do anything that you want to. The credo of the contemporary world. Along comes the Bible and says, uh, actually, just the opposite. (laughs) The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it, including yourself? The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The world says, if it feels good, do it. If your heart gives you a hearty affirmation, it's a great big morality thumbs up. Knock yourself up. The world world has it backwards. The Bible sets it straight. Careful. Don't operate based on feelings. This really, believe it or not, to a degree, where we're at in contemporary thinking, the zeitgeist of our age always has many influences, but not the least of which would be romanticism. The idea of self and doing whatever it is that makes you happy to love yourself above all things. We had a romantic period of art and music, but those ideologies, those thoughts have not disappeared. And so if you go to a university campus or frankly ask somebody in the cube next to you, what, what's, what's, what's the chief end of your life? Well, to make me happy. So I got to make me happy. Uh, that that it, it, this, I, I, I've got to I've got to do things that are fun that are satisfying. This message, of course, comes from academia and also who often from evangelical pulpits. They, they, it even comes out to a degree in the message. Hey, you've tried all these other things, but wait, try Jesus. That is going to really make you happy, and that just sings to the romantic's ear. Good, because I want me happy too. Jesus and I are on the exact same page. I want to be happy. He wants me to be happy. Terrific. Let's go hand in hand with Jesus until they discover the real Jesus. They, they, they want the, the make them feel good Jesus, not the real biblical Jesus. And yet this message has made its way into evangelical pulpits from, frankly, so many charlatans who present Jesus as the happiness maker. 
the shalom provider. Oh, it's just amazing to be a Christian. And that's why we're happy slappy all the day. Come on in and see the show. And you just watch us perform. It's going to be amazing. Was reading a quote from Kevin DeYoung talking about why so many people are rejecting the church these days. And so many people have said, well, it's because it's stayed and it's boring. And so we've got to gussy it up. We've got to make it more entertaining, more amusing. And so it is that we have. We have made it a show. We've got whipped cream and confetti and concert stage. Kevin DeYoung. Church isn't boring because we're not showing enough film clips or because we play an organ instead of a guitar. It's boring because we neuter it of its importance. Ah, that's interesting now, isn't it? Too often we treat our spiritual lives like a round of golf where we just talk about what we think about God. Enjoy the scenery, the ride in the golf cart. That's what we like when it comes to religion, and that is what we have too often provided in the seeker-sensitive movement. And the world is actually, to a degree, wising up to us and going, wait, what? I'm supposed to exchange an A-level concert for this on Sunday morning? I can go watch the whole movie on Netflix. I don't need to see clips from it and have you talk about it as if this is just some sort of life lesson. I can get those in the comfort and convenience of my own home on my schedule. I don't need church. I don't need your trivial stories. I don't need your how-to lessons. And we have responded to something that the world, it is indeed aware of. God exists. They know this. They have a conscience. And so it is, these people, wanting some sense of religiosity, will go to something that just sings to them. We thought that was a good idea. So let's make church like them so that they'll come. And guess what? It's failed. It's utterly failed. And frankly, you're going to see the failure of it more and more these days. Why? (laughs) Why in the world would somebody want to lose their job by going to a silly center on Sunday morning? Hmm? We're, We're seeing that all over the place, aren't we? That people will get shut down. They will get canceled. They will potentially get fired because they're on the wrong side of the issue. Just wait until Christians are open, open game. Oh, we can, we can for, forget the people who were, who were wanting Trump elected. How's about those Christians? Just, just wait. Do you think that the people who started going to church to be amused and entertained are going to continue going? Not a chance. What? Why? Why would they? We have shot ourselves in the foot. Church isn't boring because we're not showing enough film clips. It's boring because we neuter it of its importance. The world does ask the questions. They just don't have the answers. Where'd I come from? Why am I here? What do I do with this guilt burden that is heavy on my back? What's going to happen to me when I die? Come on, church! Let's let's sing some Van Halen, man. And regularly, they can't even find the beat. The world doesn't need nonsense. They've got plenty of it where they live. 
They've got cable TV. It's everywhere. And yet the church has decided we're going to participate and give it to them. Does this mean now that church needs to look like a caricature of a Puritan service? Yeah, maybe. But how's about we just start getting serious about what we're doing? And we do start speaking truths that have long been too hidden from the world and from the individual who stumbles into a church that our religion is called Christianity because we love Christ. And the way to help people love Jesus more is by raising up the standard of who God is to help them understand their sin problem and that they face the wrath of God and that the only way to have him assuaged is to be hidden in in Jesus Christ. That's it. There's your option. Jesus or Jesus. Take it or be ground to powder. Wow, that doesn't make God sound very loving. Then, then, Then we need to make sure that we aren't just preaching wrath as if we're torqued. And it feels good. It could be a little bit of a cleanser for us, couldn't it? It could just be a catharsis. Ah, the world is just all stupid. That's what Romans 1 says. They're morons. Hell. You're going to hell. So there. So there, president. Yeah, fine. Go ahead and sign the green deal. You're going to hell. Hold on. That's, 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 <laughs> that's a mess is what that is. That might make you feel better, but that's not what we're about. We want people to see Jesus Christ who came and dwelt among us. If you get frustrated with fools, how do you think it must have been for Jesus? that he had to cohabitate with people that the Bible calls morons. So dumb we are. And he came and lived with us. The diamond of heaven stepped off of his throne to take on a human carcass, to live a perfect life of righteousness amongst a bunch of total knuckleheads, not to mention sinners. Not to mention depraved minds. Not to mention feet that were dirty from more than just the filth that was in the streets. Hands that were covered in blood. Jesus came and dwelt among us. God with us. Emmanuel. To do what? To seek and to save that which is lost. He did that willingly. Not as a victim, as a volunteer. Why? For God so loved the moronic world filled with wicked, totally depraved sinners. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life starting now. If our wrath preaching Our high and lofty holiness preaching does not lead us to the cross of Christ to hold him up as the amazing Savior he is, then we will have done it a disservice and we too will simply be fools. This is Wretched Radio. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. So what do you get when you mix a group of Gen Z college students and a group of biblical experts together with 2,000-year-old questions? Well, of course, you get Road Trip to Truth. John Fabares has hit the road on a quest to find answers to life's biggest questions like environmentalism, social Darwinism, the deadly impact of pornography, and the dangers of agnosticism. Those are just a few of the topics covered in Season 2 of Road Trip to Truth, which is available now at roadtriptotruth.org. Season 1 is also available, along with study guides for each season and a homeschool curriculum. Road Trip to Truth helps your children better understand questions from the world from a biblical perspective, and it will help you learn how to witness more effectively to this generation. So grab your copy of Season 1 and 2 of Road Trip to Truth at roadtriptotruth.org. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. What's the one question you think we get the most here at Ratchet? It's, why do you guys do what you do? And we thought the best person to answer that question was you. Ratchet Radio has just really brought me closer to God. Ratchet has changed my life. Ratchet Radio, you all have done a great job at really bringing joy into our lives. Our goals have always been to preach the gospel, to equip people to preach the gospel, and to strengthen the local church. And when we hear testimonies from real people just like you, we are encouraged. My life will never be the same because of you guys. Through your video, God saved me. Wretched Radio, you encouraged me to walk with the Lord. And we know we would never be able to reach millions of people all over the world with the gospel if it weren't for the support of our gospel partners. If you're not a gospel partner, would you prayerfully consider partnering with Wretched to save the lost and reach millions of people with the gospel? Just log on to wretched.org slash donate to get all of the information you could ever want to know about becoming a gospel partner. That's wretched.org slash donate. Books of the Bible The book of Ruth tells of a Moabite widow who chose to follow the God of Israel and found favor in the eyes of a godly man named Boaz who claimed her family's land as her kinsman redeemer. Ruth and Boaz are the ancestors of Jesus and a foreshadowing of Jesus' work as our kinsman redeemer. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Prepared to hit the brakes. This is Wretched Radio. Hebrews chapter 1. Talking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last times spoken to us by his son. That's preeminence. You know all of those prophets that you revere? Moses, 
Abraham, Jesus is preeminent. It continues, he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Jesus is preeminent over, what's the word? All things through whom also he made the world. In other words, Jesus is God, the creator, preeminent, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You want to know what God is like? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Stare at him, and you are going to know what God is like. Make sure you study all about Jesus' behavior, not just the stuff that's really zesty, not just the turning over the tables, not just the engaging rather severely with the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus put the little children on his lap too. Jesus tenderly healed. Jesus spoke lovingly toward the outcast. Don't forget that part too who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. How is this world continuing, staying together without flying apart? There it is, Jesus, the preeminent one. Upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins. Wow, imagine that. One who purged your sins. Might I ask you to consider what other religious system does that? Is there any place you can go that has a system that is at least attainable or reasonable? Is there any plan that human beings have concocted where you can sleep at night saying, my conscience is cleansed. I do not need to worry about meeting my creator. I'm good to go. Got a system? Except Christ, can't think of one myself either. So he, holding all things together by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why? Because that's the place of authority. That's the place of power. That's the place of favor. Get ready to hit the brakes. Having become so much better than the angels, er, what? What's, yeah, of course, he, well, angels, I mean, aren't they going to, they serve us. Of course, he's like better than the angels. This ain't no big whoop. Actually, it's a very big whoop. When you study angels, not so that you can get the correct figurine at Hallmark, not so you can have a collection of them, not so you can worship them, but so that you can appreciate how preeminent Jesus Christ is. This is but the tip of the iceberg of what angels do. This is how people would would read this text in the first century, who, by the way, were elevating angels way too high. They were putting way too much attention. People were actually worshiping angels. They thought they were worthy of praise because they read the Old Testament to see all the things that they were doing. And the author of Hebrews whom we know to be Bob, says, Jesus is so much better, silly rabbit. The angels were at creation. The angels guarded the Ark of the Covenant. They guarded the Holy of Holies. They were placed to at the Garden of Eden with a deadly sword. 
an angel appeared to Hagar to bring a message from God. Genesis 19, angels at Sodom and Gomorrah, angels rescuing Lot and the family, literally taking them by the hand. There was an angel who stopped Abraham from killing Isaac, an angel who confirmed to Abraham the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 22. An angel helped Isaac find a bride. Jacob saw angels descending and descending on a ladder. It's a symbolic demonstration of God's angels coming and going on behalf of God's purposes in the world. They're engaged on earth doing God's will, Genesis 28. Jacob blessed Joseph and spoke of angels who had reduced, had, had reduced him. Angel appears to Moses in Exodus 3. An angel of God led Israel with a cloud and a pillar of fire in the wilderness. Angels were at the giving of the law, participating in the judgment on people. An angel kept Balaam from cursing Israel. An angel appeared to Gideon, reassuring Gideon. The father of Samson confronted by an angel in Judges 13.18. It was an angel of judgment. Another angel of judgment killed 70,000. 2 Samuel 4. An angel ministered to Elijah. An angel slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians attacking Jerusalem. That's one angel. One angel slew 185,000. An angel of the Lord camps around those who fear him. There's a band of destroying angels. Psalm 78, Psalm 91. Angels are guarding you. Psalm 103, they are mighty in strength and obediently, perfectly obedient, supernatural in power, dispatched dispatched with a message of God, whether blessing or judgment. Angels encircle the throne of God, praising God. They delivered people. They were involved in the destruction of people and property in Ezekiel 40. Angels are active in Daniel. Remember the fiery furnace? Zechariah, angels patrol the earth for God. Angels speak for God. Zechariah 2, 3, 4, 5, 12. In Deuteronomy and Psalms, they are a massive host. And Jesus Christ is preeminent. That is why we shouldn't hit the brakes when we get to this verse in Hebrews chapter 1. This was a massive statement that Bob was making. You want to know what Jesus is like? You want to know how you should understand Jesus Christ? He's better than angels. Do you remember slaying 185,000 people? One angel. Jesus is stronger. Jesus can slay more. Jesus can heal more. Jesus can speak everything that is true. He is the preeminent one. That is our Savior. That is Jesus Christ. That is the one that you worship. And even as we realize that he is preeminent and we have an understanding of how big, strong, capable, powerful he is, he's meek and gentle and humble and submissive. (laughs) Have you forgotten about all of the things that Jesus is? All of these things that the angels we, we see doing, 
that, that, that is for our understanding so that we can understand Jesus is better than this. This is a laundry list of things, and Jesus is more. Jesus can do more. He's stronger than the angels get their power from Jesus. They don't have power unto themselves. Nothing in this universe does. He sustains the universe by the word of his power. That is your savior. By the way, this list was taken from a John MacArthur sermon. Uh, it was called John MacArthur preaches on angels and stuff, something like that. It was on. I think Jesus is the preeminent one. And by the way, that was half of the page. I, I've got a page and a half of what angels do. <laughs> angels are heavenly holy spirits who serve God as revealers, guiders, patrollers, watchers, interpreters, comforters, intercessors, counselors, judges, protectors, punishers, executioners, teachers, worshipers. Jesus is better. Angels, they're God's agents. Described as light, fire, shining metal, precious stones, clothed in linen, dazzling super beings with massive power. They're living creatures. They are strong. They hold people accountable. Galatians. They surround the throne of God. Isaiah 6. The New Testament. They appear to Mary, Elizabeth, shepherds, making announcements. They come from the throne of God. Jesus is better. Jewish traditions taught angels were mediators between God and men. They thought angels were working God's will in human lives. The Jews thought in Genesis, God was counseling with angels when he said, let us make man. Now, I don't think so because he created them. They're created beings. But they held an extremely high, wrong, extremely high view of angels. And we got to be careful we don't fall into that ditch because a lot of people could maybe have some precious moments with angels and maybe think that angels, they should be praying to them. Wrong. Angels were created to do all of this work of God and for us to read these stories, 1 Corinthians 10, for our learning so that we can compare them to Jesus. And when we do, Jesus is preeminent. And this is Wretched Radio. This is Ratchet Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Remember when protesting used to mean something? Okay, so in all fairness, it still does in most cases, but it's the minority these days that are making all of the headlines. As is such in Paris, France, where video has been released of a man dressed as a woman riding in a wheelchair and smashing a cake into the Mona Lisa. Yeah, and he did it to protest climate change because everyone knows that it was the Mona Lisa that actually started all of the pollution problems. Now, the guy was actually arrested for the stunt and as not the bee pointed out, the cars that were driven by the police to come arrest him, the computers that were used to book him into jail and the facilities used to detain him all significantly increased this guy's carbon footprint. Well, if the $5 Taco Bell boxes aren't satisfying for you anymore, don't worry. The company has just the thing. At locations all over the country, Taco Bell will be hosting drag queen brunches. And the MC of those brunches is Quesadilla. Get it? Quesadilla? It makes me wonder, did Taco Bell bringing back the Mexican pizza recently, did they do that to make us all happy? Or were they trying to take the focus off their real agenda? I'm going to go with the latter. 
Oakland University. It's a school in Michigan, and they've made headlines recently for evicting a student from campus housing after the student made a social media post. In the Facebook post, the student talked about receiving a religious exemption for the COVID vaccine requirements, which somehow violated the school's code of conduct. First Liberty Institute, who represents the student, has sent a letter demanding a written apology from the school and that the school remove the disciplinary record that was placed in the student's file. Okay, so I read down through the events of this story no less than 10 times, and I still do not fully understand why a social media post about a religious exemption, which she did indeed receive, why did that violate the school's code of conduct? I didn't really understand it, and just like most things surrounding the COVID response, seems kind of fishy. And a Muslim in Pakistan who abducted a 15-year-old Roman Catholic girl has forced her to convert her faith and marry him, and the report indicates that police have refused to offer help to the family of the girl. The girl's father says that his daughter was abducted on May 20th when their neighbor forcibly took her away, and police were immediately contacted, but according to the father, the police say the daughter has converted to Islam and contracted to marry her abductor, though no documentation has actually been provided. Pakistan ranks as eighth on the open doors watch list of countries where it's most difficult to be a Christian. And as we tell you frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you are continuing to fervently pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Important dates in Christian history. 385 A.D. In Milan, Bishop Ambrose defies the Empress. This event helped to establish the precedent of the Church confronting the state, when necessary, to protect Christian teaching and oppose injustice and corruption in government. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is the program of hope and encouragement. Well, that's new. <laughs> well, we thought we'd spread our wings a bit. <laughs> My name ain't Barnabas for a reason, you know. That's, that's appropriate. This is Wretched Radio. As people these days seem to be in a wee bit of a panic, justified or otherwise, that is not my commentary but would like to bring to you a slew, that's a lot, a slew of stories on the subject of persecution. And as we do so, wow, do we need to be careful? Because we can read a quote from somebody probably without even exploring the context and go, that's it. There's my support story. Or, aha, it worked out for that guy. Therefore, I'm going to do that. Be careful. Bible always needs to guide our understanding and the lessons of history. History can be so abused. You can go back and read a story and say, well, see there, that happened there. Therefore, this is what we should be doing today. And I see all sides using the same story. For instance, let's let's use church history. Augustine or Augustine, if you prefer, he's used by Roman Catholics and by Protestants alike. Why? Because you can see the evolution of his thought throughout his maturing and throughout his life. And so it depends on what year you nab the quote. Or in the context, you can grab something and go, there it is right there. 
And by the way, the Roman Catholic Church does this probably more than Protestants do, if that is possible. They will look back at a quote, one who is used a lot. Irenaeus, Tertullian used a lot. They were trying to come up with church structure and how to defend against heresy. This was a big deal in the third century. What do we do with all of these people who are coming in with wacky teachings? And so they looked at how do we have any authority? Who is the determiner? And the thinking was, all right, if we can, if we can just follow the teachings of the apostles, well, that is a natural thing then to go, well, okay, then who was closest to the apostles? That would be the early church fathers, the apostolic fathers, and, and then the people who preceded them. So, so let's try to follow that and not go outside of the line of apostolic teaching. Do you see where that can go so quickly? Oh, then we then that takes us all the way back to the early apostles. And who was the chief apostle Peter? Therefore, he's the pope. And so they do that because they are taking a quote from a guy who is dealing with a particular issue at a particular time, and they utilize it to justify their position on the vicar of Rome. And we don't want to be doing that, especially when it's issues that could get very, um, not just theologically personal, but could endanger you. Do you flee? Do you stay? Do you, do you go to jail? Do you run? How do we deal with these issues? So we are going to present for you just a slew of stories. And please make sure that you don't nab them without always running them through a biblical filter. Frederick Nolan was fleeing from persecution in North Africa. His pursuers had one objective, to capture him, ask him if he would deny Jesus Christ. And then if he confirmed he was a Christian, they would execute him on the spot. He ran past a number of caves, but knew that his pursuers would check each one of them until they found him. Eventually, he was so exhausted, he entered a cave and waited to be found. He heard them checking nearby caves. As he lay there, staring at the entrance, he watched a small spider weaving a web. Within minutes, the beautiful web covered the entire entrance to the cave. Just then, his pursuers arrived at his cave, but seeing the web, they concluded he couldn't have entered that cave without disturbing the web, so they moved on. After escaping the predicament, Nolan penned this profound couplet from his experience. Where God is, a web is like a wall. Where God is not, a wall is like a web. God protecting one of his children. Be encouraged. He always has, and he still does. But you got to be careful because he might not. He might not. So this is a story that gives you hope. And yet we realize from the rest of the Bible, sometimes he lets his children get hurt for his glorious purposes. You can't help but consider and think about, I do believe it's Revelation 13, could be wrong on the address. The, the saints, the martyrs in heaven, how long, O oh Lord, how long? A lot of blood was spilt for believing in Jesus Christ. There was a lot of persecution. 
in the first, second, and third centuries of the church. By the way, there's been a lot of persecution of Christians all throughout church history. The Waldensians, whew, uh, it's possible millions of, of, of Christians. They were the pre-Protestants, if you will, that were slaughtered by the Roman Catholic Church. God sometimes lets his children get hurt and even killed And he knows about it. And he is going to deal with it. And because of what some people have done to his children, he will be praised throughout eternity forever for being a glorious God to redeem them and to deal with the people who hurt his children when he delivers them to their just desserts called hell. We've got to watch how we interpret these stories. Another story for you to consider. Unlike Christians in the modern West, early Christians didn't live with a post-Kantian distinction between fact and value. This is is from the theologian talking about why early Christians were persecuted. Why were they murdered for just saying, I'm a Christian? And they were. Well, they didn't have the same sort of mindset that you and I tend to have. And we do. This is so prevalent. And the the solution for this is so difficult. You and I follow a lot of Greek thinking that has infected Western civilization. Think of thinking as a two-story house. Bottom level, truth, reality, science, math. Top level, Values, morality, religion, feelings, separate levels. And if you want to be on the right side of history, you stay on the first floor of the house. Now, what you do with a second story, that's up to you, but that's a private affair. That's wrong. So now the question is, how do we help people understand? No, 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 no. All of your thinking about science and math and truth and reality It's not separate from, nor is it the foundation for faith, values, and morality. And we might be inclined to bring the second story onto the first story. And I would say, "Uh uh-uh. You need to swap the levels. God goes on the foundation level. Truth is the foundation. You can't even do science or math, morality, values, feelings, emotions. None of it. You can't even think through anything without truth being the foundation. So I don't even want to bring God's truth down to the same level. I want it to be the foundation because God's truth pervades every single sector of our thinking, which is why Christianity is not an app. It is an operating system. Back to the theologian. Unlike Christians in the modern West, they don't have a post-Kantian distinction between fact and value. They believe that their faith was a public truth not just a private religious experience. Jesus, and not Caesar, was Lord of the whole world in every aspect of their lives. Their faith was uniquely eschatological. Not picking a day, Jesus is going to come back on Thursday. No, but they were thinking, he's coming back, he's coming back. He's, that's, what, that's what tough times will do for you, a longing for his return. It was this that relativized the empire Like the Maccabean martyrs, they were not afraid to die because of the hope of the resurrection. And hell was more frightening than their tormentors. The final attitude can be summed up in one word. Love. 
It can be seen in Polycarp's devotion to his Lord, who had never failed him, and the desire of the martyrs at Leon to be closely identified with Christ as possible. Whilst this led some to actively seek martyrdom, that's wrong, seeking it as a good work that would save them, that's wrong, not even that will save you, only Jesus. For many Christians, suffering was accepted as an expression of love to the Lord who had suffered for them. It is these attitudes that finally explain why the early Christians were persecuted. They may also explain why Christians in the West today are not. Was their thinking perfect in the first century, second century, third century? Clearly not. Some of them thought martyrdom was a a salvific path. It's not. Nevertheless, perhaps studying some of these stories from past persecutions will help us to get it right today, but we'll only be able to do that if we filter even church history through the Bible. This is Wretched Radio. This is our dear brother Max in Ukraine, who's been a Tomorrow Club leader now for almost 20 years, giving us a picture of what is going on currently in Ukraine, specifically regarding the activity of the Tomorrow Clubs. Normally, kids' clubs where they meet every week to hear the gospel. But right now, those Tomorrow Club leaders are spending their efforts simply trying to minister to people who are in danger or who have nothing. And our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West are trying to to meet the needs of those families. We had to escape serving them. It's a good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. There are many who need the bare necessities of life. Tomorrow Clubs is trying to serve them in that regard. Would you please consider what you might do for Ukrainian believers at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Transformed, our latest production is available now in the Wretched Store or by visiting transformed.org. This show is like nothing else on Christian TV. You'll witness real biblical counseling sessions with real people dealing with real issues like anxiety, OCD, depression, phobias, and trauma. What you won't see is a secular therapy session or even a Christian counseling session which still uses secular psychology. No, you are going to witness the power of the Bible and work right before your eyes. Real people with real problems being offered real solutions. Hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford, Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling at The Masters University and Dr. Dale Johnson, the Executive Director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Transformed where you'll witness biblical counseling as it takes people from brokenness to wholeness. Visit transformed.org. Here's a preborn story that starts out a little on the bitter side, but ends up being very sweet. Neighborhood pastor's daughter ends up pregnant, and she was very abortion-minded, not wanting to face the consequences of her indiscretion. She met her baby on the ultrasound. She just wept uncontrollably. Couldn't do it. That baby's alive today because an ultrasound was underwritten for a girl. And otherwise, even though she was a Christian, saw abortion as the easy answer. That is the power of an ultrasound. When a woman in crisis sees her baby. 80% of the time she chooses life for just $28. You could provide one of those ultrasounds, but I would ask you, how many ultrasounds might you be able to provide? 
the more ultrasounds, the more saved babies. Please consider what you can do at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Athenagoras was a Christian philosopher in Athens who used his training to defend the Christian faith against Roman persecution. He wrote on the resurrection of the dead, arguing that the nature of God, the nature of humanity, and the concept of justice only make sense if there is a physical resurrection. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Lessons from the past. Carefully considered, this is Wretched Radio. How do we get our thinking totally biblical as we go about the business of living in a new zip code without having moved? That's the way it feels, doesn't it? You didn't get called to the mission field. The mission field was just slipped underneath your feet when you were perhaps going about your beeswax. Suddenly, Everything seems different, and people are concerned about the future. Remember, it is okay to be aware of the future. You can even go, yikes, this doesn't look good, and be troubled. But if it is faithless worrying, oh, no, all is undone. I'm going to get my stuff taken, and it's going to be terrible. There's no point. God can't help me. Why, oh, why is this happening to me? Then that's faithless worrying. That's the sinful kind. But don't think that you can't be aware, plan, and even be, yeah, I don't like what's coming down the pike. We see that exhibited by Jesus Christ, John 11, 12, 13, 14. Clear, clearing up the distinction about how we should feel about what might be persecution of Christians. Right now, it certainly is in a milder form, isn't it? You might get your YouTube channel yanked, your Facebook page pulled, There could be more coming. How do we think it through for your consideration from some stories from the past? But please remember, as you read a story, chances are really good. You don't have the context of everything that was going on, why this particular story was written. So even as we learn from stories in history, we still need to filter it through the Bible. A godly citizen Help from the past, from gentle reformation. That person, the godly citizen, was being described by Jean Calville. I say that so that some people don't get upset. (laughs) Remember, living in a city that really was way different than America. It 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 was an attempt almost... I don't want to say theocratic, but it was it was far more of a mingling of church and state than what you and I could even imagine at this point in Switzerland a long time ago. Nevertheless, Calvillo regarded our attitudes in the first place as obedience. That was that was preeminent. We must be obedient. Quote, the first duty of subjects toward their magistrates is to think most honorably of their office which they recognize as jurisdiction bestowed by God, and on that account to esteem the reverence them as ministers and representatives of God. So as you filter through everything, the desire is, I want to be obedient. I don't want to find a loophole. I want to be obedient. Now, you can deal with loophole issues if you would like to try that. But first things first, said Calhoun, 
obedience. What about the unjust civil magistrate? He was certainly aware of that. First, he answers that we need to remember, you're not going to like this, a wicked ruler is God's judgment on a people. Now, does that mean you? Is God transitioning our nation politically because of you? In one sense, yes, because he's constantly mindful of you. He is always mindful of you. You, you, you're on the top of God's mind. Not that you're the priority in the universe, but you are, he is as aware of you as anybody can be aware of anyone, more so. And so he doesn't do anything without your, your situation in view. But does that mean that we're moving, it seems, from one system that was better for human flourishing to one that has historically been proven not to be because he's judging you? No. No, he's not judging you. You, you. Your judgment was placed on Jesus. So anything that he is doing would be for your good. Nevertheless, we're looking at a statement that a bad ruler is a judgment on a people. And it's not hard to imagine that, is it? It's really not. Christmas alone, I would think, would be so infuriating to God. The birth of my son to save the world is turned into ho, 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 with a focus with kids longing. When's Santa going to get here? When's Santa get here? I got to get Santa. When's he? Let's put out cookies and milk. And they do nothing for God's son. That alone should bring judgment. Forget about the gender stuff, the sexuality business. Forget about abortion. Christmas alone, according to Calvin, a wicked ruler is God's judgment on a people. Quote, they who rule unjustly and incompetently have been raised up by him to punish the wickedness of the people. A wicked king is the Lord's wrath upon the earth. Now, please note, he takes Old Testament verses. Got away this. We're reading history, but not without our Bibles. These people wrote in a particular context. Second, even a tyrant possesses the lawful power of God that he gives to civil authorities, and we are to be subject to them. Quote, in a very wicked man, utterly unworthy of all honor, provided he has the public power in his hands, that noble and divine power resides, which the Lord has by his words given to the ministers of his justice and judgment. Accordingly, He should be held in the same reverence and esteem by his subjects insofar as public obedience is concerned, in which they would hold the best of kings if he were given to them. Whoa. Whoa. But we are, because we're not told to honor some good kings, uh, honor those good people in authority. No, honor all of them. Third, he answers that we need to be more concerned with our duty than the duty of civil authorities. Oof. That stung a little bit. If you've been more consumed with how people are behaving in politics and less interested in how you're behaving, was reading a sermon this morning from 1860, and I can't remember the name of the guy who preached it. Doesn't matter. That was his message to his congregation. Let's, Let's be aware of the sins of other people, certainly, but more aware of our own sins. That's what God is interested in. Your sanctification, not the status of a nation. So that that's the priority here. Quote, every man should keep in mind that one duty, which is his own, 
This ought to particularly apply to those who have been put under the power of others. Therefore, if we are cruelly tormented by a savage prince, if we are greedily despoiled by one who is avaricious or wanton, if we are neglected by a slothful ruler, if finally we are vexed for piety's sake by one who is impious and sacrilegious, let us first be mindful of our own misdeeds, which without doubt are chastised by such whips of the Lord. By this, humility will restrain our patience. Gotta tell you, that's tough stuff. But I would also suggest to you, this is, that's not like Christian graduation level stuff. This is what we signed up for. If, if you didn't know that, when, when you repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but you should have, you should have been expressly told, um, this is about death to self. This is about living for another. This is about dying for another. This is about surrendering all, not some, not a little, not when it's convenient. We surrender all. If you're not ready, then you can't put your hand to the plow. You're not fit for service. You got to go bury your own dead. Just go deal with it. Go deal with your property issues. You're not ready. Jesus made it clear. This is not like superstar Christian maturity. This is, this is how we enter into the kingdom. I'm done with me. My life means nothing. Nothing. This is a challenge for all of us. Please, I haven't graduated. This thinking is hard. And that's why so much of it is expressed for us by others. Fourth, we should commit ourselves to prayer. Finally, we must obey God rather than men. When they tell us to sin, we don't. Can't do it. God's the supreme authority. We know that. And so if the wicked rulers tell us to do something that is a sin, we obey God first. Short of that, we obey the authority that God has put in place, knowing that they are a judgment upon a nation, knowing that they are actually for our good, knowing that we are to be a bright light because of it. That is what First Peter is all about that you will shine brighter as a child of God, a child of the light, when you are squeezed and what comes out of you is joy and love and forgiveness, that staggers the world and God uses it to save people. Do we digest every single word that, that Jean Calville wrote? Perhaps, perhaps not. Filter it through the Bible, but make sure that your Bible goes before the context of our culture. Get it straight in your noggin. Then take a look at your cult culture and ask yourself the question, how am I to live as a citizen of this earthly realm while I am a child of God's kingdom? That is our challenge, and it is going to be ongoing and it is going to require gentleness from all of us as we talk to one another and lovingly work through a brave new world. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.